0: Namo Thassa Bhagavatu Arahatu Sama Sambudasa Namo Thassa Bhagavatu Arahatu Sama Sambudasa Namo Thassa Bhagavat Arahato Sama Sambudasa Butamam Sangam Namasami We are here gathered with a little dust in our eyes. I was Shown a beautiful book this evening which is called The Buddha. It's full of lovely photographs of shrines in different places, mostly in Burma, I think. And they're beautiful. It's very inspiring to see the face of the Buddha because the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, um, as a young man, went out in search of what was true and lasting in this world. And he discovered it within himself. And he developed a system, a teaching, which enables other beings to do that themselves. This is the beauty of this path. It's not a path that leads us outside of ourselves. But... In the beginning we do think that the answers lie outside of ourselves. One thing is very unique. The Buddha was a human being. He was not a god. He was not Superman. Though he was a supreme human being. But he was supreme because of his own individual effort and work to develop himself in a supreme way not because of being born in a particular family, like a family of high caste, and not because he was wealthy or had great power in the world, but because he developed the most sublime and perfect purity of mind. He completely overcame the passions of the mind. And this is something that all of us can do through our own effort, through our own understanding, through the power of our resolve and intention. But in order to be able to do that, we have to understand our predicament and we have to realize where the enemy is. In worldly terms, where is the enemy? We think that the enemy is out, outside. Somebody else is the enemy. And we can each of us reflect on our own lives. We may have run into situations where there was hostility or negativity or meanness, beginning with our own families or injustice then we feel victimized, oppressed, unable to speak our truth, led into unskillful action, we might think. But if we examine carefully those situations and reflect back on them, we can begin to see that the real enemy is not somebody doing something to us, but the real enemy is our own Mental affliction around whatever happens to us. So the Buddha helps us to see this by following a path of opening the mind to the truth. Yes. And when we meditate, that's exactly the very place to do that. In worldly terms, we wear glasses. A lot of us have glasses. Some of us don't have glasses, but we need them because we're not seeing properly. So the Buddha tells us that we should stop, take off these glasses and look within. Look within ourselves. These are a few quotes from the scriptures, from this beautiful book. You may be familiar with them, but I thought whoever brought forth these quotations had a a very beautiful way of crafting the words. So this one is, Look within. Look within. If we look without, then whether we're looking for the enemy or for the friend, we're looking outside of ourselves. We're looking for... Answers for happiness, for satisfaction, for security, for power, for wisdom outside of ourselves. But we also look for the source of the problem, all our suffering, our afflictions. We look for the answers to that suffering or even the origins of that suffering in the world. And the Buddha exhorts us to study the body and the mind as processes. Observe them carefully. Look within and see what is the origin of our happiness. What is the origin of our suffering? Be still. Free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of the way. Hmm. This being still. Now, we've all just sat here for the last 45 minutes. How hard is it to be still? We could maybe be still for 45 minutes. This is a very nice place to be still in. Uh, Nobody is shouting. We can't hear the traffic. There's no traffic here in the room. But there is traffic in our minds, a lot of traffic. And to be still, we have to bring all that traffic to a stop. What kind of traffic is it? It's memory, it's thought, it's the past, it's the future. And any time that the mind starts to wander into thought, into the past, into the future, into ruminating about the present, thinking about the present, we begin to struggle This being still, sitting still, being silent, listening, observing, helps us to see more clearly, to clarify the mind and to see what's the condition of the process. What is the mind doing and how is it picking up the world? Then we begin to see the origin of our suffering and our joy. But the stillness in itself has a sweet taste. And this is something that we don't get through movement in the world. So as soon as we grasp at anything, we can't own it, we can't keep it from changing, but we can see it is impermanent. Is there anything in the world that is not impermanent? This is the challenge. When we sit still, we begin to see the impermanence with us. And whatever we see within our own mind is but a reflection of the nature of the world, the nature of all worldly conditions, such as this body-mind, worldly conditions. Every thought, every breath, every constituent of the body, all the elements that gathered together to compose it, they too will fall away and disappear. So to be still doesn't mean that the processes of the body and mind stop. The mind, through knowing the breath, through knowing the body process and the mental process, is observing the movement from a place of stillness. It's not from a place of grasping anything. Not grasping the moment, not grasping the future, not grasping the past. The Buddha just asks us to look within and be still. So very simple. Not to identify. Not to take anything as mine, as me or myself. This is really radical way of looking. Look, be still, look within. Free from fear and attachment. These are keys. All of you have keys. To Keys to the car, keys to your house, keys to your office, workshop, studio, etc. Bicycle, whatever kind of vehicle you have. The key here is We look within instead of without. We are being still instead of mentally grasping. So we're letting the world go, and we're letting the mind be trained to be free from attachment, not wanting a particular mind state, not wanting fame or praise or success or pleasure. None of it. We're just stopping and letting go The world here and now, seeing the weather in the mind, it's turbulent or it's calm, it's joyful or it's disturbing, it's agitating. And then we have a moment of knowing, to know what's arising as we look within and not attaching to it. Oh, this is great! if only I could sit like this always, or this is terrible, I can't do this practice, it's not suitable for me. These are the very enemies of looking within, being still, and being free. We think being free means that we have the right to do what we want that we're not a slave to anyone. We have the freedom to go where we want and say what we want and dress the way we want and wear our hair or non-hair in any way we want. That's freedom. But that's not the freedom the Buddha is talking about. He's talking about the freedom from fear and attachment. We think that freedom from fear is when there are no terrorists. He's not talking about external conditions. He's talking about the internal, the origin of terror. Where is it? It's not in the world. It's within us. The world will always be full of terror. It's a little bit more full of it now than ever, perhaps. But not really. There's always been terrible things going on. The cutting off of heads and spiking spears through the bodies of Innocent beings, this has been going on forever. We have more sophisticated weapons now. But the worst terror begins within our own hearts. And the Buddha is pointing us to the key to seeing that initial moment of fear. In that, there is a strength that we can tap, that we can develop so that we're not fragile in the face of conditions. Through the stillness, we can really begin to see the mind and how it's trained or how it's set, where the joy comes from, where the fear comes from, where hatred comes from, where peace comes from. Now, within all of this, we have some very important tools. The Buddha says, Rely on nothing until you want nothing. This is a very interesting statement. Rely on nothing. When we're practicing meditation, what are we relying on? We are relying on the truth we're taking refuge in awakened wisdom, the wisdom that the Buddha manifested in his own practice, in his own heart. And we are trying to follow that. When he says rely on nothing, he means rely on nothing in the world. Is there anything in the world we can rely on? Maybe for a little while we're right now relying on this floor to keep us it's not floating away but in years to come this whole building might disappear it's not a permanent thing it looks very permanent but it isn't these are just the elements coming together in a particular form form is impermanent feeling is impermanent perception is impermanent Mental formations, consciousness, it's all impermanent. We rely on nothing until we want nothing. This wanting of nothing is the freedom from grasping that which we cannot own, which will not give us happiness. In these simple words, he explains The whole map. If we can just remember to rely on nothing, nothing of the world, until we want nothing. And then we use that as a kind of template to put into consciousness when we're sitting and meditating. We can notice where is the grasping? What are we wanting? Why is there movement? Why is there agitation? Why is there a lack of stillness? Be still, free from fear and attachment until we can know the sweet joy of the moment just as it is. It's by clearing out all the rubbish in the heart and abiding in this space, making the space in the heart so empty of wanting that we can let go. In that letting go, there is peace. The peace of immeasurable patience, the peace of an awareness that goes beyond space in terms of dimensions. It's a transcendent awareness. It's a peace that comes from our own effort, It's a peace that comes from being able to concentrate the mind so deeply that it can cut through fear, attachment, greed, ill-will, anxiety, doubt, confusion. It's a peace that brings up within it unconditional loving-kindness, a love and a kindness that don't choose things to be a certain way. It's a peace that comes from unconditional compassion, being able to have empathy for the pain of humans, insects, animals, hell beings, any being, even ghosts. These are the wheels of the vehicle that help us to go beyond the suffering of this realm. This is a realm that has within it both happiness and suffering it's not a realm without suffering but suffering is our teacher it's not something to be controlled which we can't do or suppressed so we're not capable of doing that if we fear suffering then we really suffer but if we understand suffering then we can have compassion for ourselves and each other these sublime abidings also give us that equanimous mind. The Buddha says to guard the mind. Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. So what we're doing here is magnificent work, incomparable work to give us an unshakable freedom from suffering. It's a medicine. We look for medicine through healing the body. Yes, this human body is a vehicle through this realm and is to be protected, just like we take care of the car that we're in to go on a journey. But the wisdom, the understanding the love and the compassion that we grow, those are the jewels, those are the treasures of this life. And that is what we're learning to do here, to grow treasure in the heart. So we can feel the gladness of this time that we practice together and make sure that whatever we learn sitting still and looking within Here, we take out into the world with us. One of the other vital keys that we must use is virtue, sila, the practice of sila in daily life. Without it, our work is futile. We can sit for very long periods of time. We can be still, but we will never be free without a foundation of purity, of speech and conduct. So the last frontier of purity is the mind. Never underestimate the power of that. Behind virtue, behind it, that which it leans upon powerfully is generosity. And generosity comes in many forms. Giving material things, material gifts, but it also comes in the form of time, giving energy, giving information, giving compassion, giving kindness, just a kind word, a shoulder for someone to lean on. And it also comes in the form of meditation, the Buddha sheds light on this giving attention to the present moment is the greatest generosity that we can give to ourselves, but it's also the greatest generosity that we can give to the world. One moment of awakened awareness without wanting, without grasping, a pure, free, Undivided attention is a moment of non greed, non hatred, non delusion. And that's one moment less of greed, of violence, of terror in this world. So this is generosity at its highest. This doesn't mean that we're necessarily perfect, but we make a strong intention to purify. And that's, that's the path. Intention, commitment, perseverance, never giving up. When I first took the vows as a Buddhist nun, my teacher had asked me to make a lifetime commitment. I was 37. And uh, I was on a retreat in in Burma. And I only asked for a three-month ordination. In my case, he said, for life. He would only give me the precepts for life. And that seemed very unfair. But he was a very wise being. He still is. He's still alive. Ninety-four. He told me to go think about it. Three weeks later, I was... Doing walking meditation outside his reception room. He was giving a talk. So I wanted to listen. And I went in. And then he sent the other ladies out and called me forward and said, Did you decide? I said, No. And he said, Can you do it? And I said, Yes. I was shaking, but I did say, because I so trusted his wisdom. And many times over the years, when things were really rough and I wasn't getting the support I needed, I remember a particular time when I wasn't getting enough meals. I was hungry. And I sat in front of my shrine and I started to weep because I felt so inadequate. A little Mara of the mind saying, you can't do this. What are you trying to do? And then I remembered my vow. I made a lifetime vow. I made a promise. Of course I can do it. I have to do it. And I sat up straight and wiped my eyes and felt this enormous wave of gratitude to the Buddha for allowing me to live this way. The renunciation for the sake of of wisdom for the sake of purity is reinforcement for us in the darkest moment. If we have the strength to make that commitment, and when we need it, it will support us. There's a certain power in the mind when we intend, we make an intention to do something, especially something holy, something very... Exalted. You intend to do it, that gives you the ability, the forces of goodness rally round us, the devas come rushing to support us.